Hello and welcome. You're in the Real Estate Investors Lounge. So grab a seat and get comfortable as we dive into the strategies, the mindsets, and the motivations of some of the brightest entrepreneurs in the real estate investment world. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Real Estate Investors Lounge podcast. Here's your host, Brian Fitzgerald. Hello and welcome everyone to the Real Estate Investors Lounge podcast. On this episode, I am pulling up two chairs for a husband and wife duo. Well, I guess chairs is used loosely because Kaylee's in her car right now. We're talking with <laughs> Alex and Kaylee Powell from Powell Property Solutions. And uh, I know a little bit about Alex. I don't know much about you, Kaylee, but I could easily get carried away and steal their entire story. But I figure it's, uh, it's better if they tell it. So hopefully, Alex, Kaylee, you're on the other end of this phone. And if you are, Alex, say something funny. Yeah, no, no. Thanks so much for having us uh, having us on here. It's a, it's a pleasure to uh, to be part of your podcast. Awesome. We appreciate you having the, making the time out of your busy schedule to be here. So we, I, I yeah. greatly appreciate it, guys. So how are you guys doing today to start off? Good. It's uh, turned into June showers here lately. So uh, so we're, we're very grateful for a little bit of sunshine, finally. Not to mention, I have like three roofs that need to be done. And it is... <laughs> Such a pain to try and get the roof done when it's constantly raining. So you're saying it's roofing yeah, season? Yeah, we also have one that's leaking. So oh, that's yeah. yeah, it's roofing season. Actually, there's a. I was watching the weather the other day, and of course they're forecasting rain, but they called it January because of all the crappy weather we've. Been. I thought it was <laughs> yeah, actually exactly. pretty clever. Yeah, I'm just hoping we're going to make it up in November. That's all. In November, so. oh man, that's ambitious, but I like it. That's good. Yeah. So let's get into it, guys. Uh, so I was doing some reconnaissance on you guys. Uh, Alex, you and I have uh, crossed paths on a couple deals in the past in the, in the Hamilton area, but I was doing yep. some recon on you guys. So I went on the interweb and checked out your website at uh, palpropertysolutions.com, right? Dot com? Yep. Okay. And uh, on your About Us section, your website says, Pal Property Solutions is a real estate solutions company located in Hamilton. And we specialize in solving complex real estate matters for home buyers, sellers, and investors. And I'm going to put you on the spot Absolutely. right off the get-go. What does that mean to you guys? What does solving real estate matters mean to PAL Property Solutions? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, you probably know, you know just as well. When we're dealing just basically on a transactional basis, so the... The average buyer and seller, when they're going out and looking for a house, you know, they're going and getting pre-approved and then they're looking for a house that's within their price point. And then it's very sequential. And I think a lot of people who, who dabble in real estate, actually the vast percentage of people who dabble in real estate from a purchase standpoint or from a selling standpoint think that there's really only one way to do it. And so often what we find is that individuals that are looking to get into, um, to more creative structuring, it can make it sometimes a little bit complex, but there's so many ways to do real estate deals that it's it's incredible. And I and I know you know of them, but like for example, um, if a a seller doesn't have enough of a down payment, there's an option for a vendor take back mortgage, right? Or for instance, a seller who's selling a distressed property and is very hesitant to put it on the market because of potential like liability issues because the ceiling's caving in. What are their options in those kind of situations? Well, what about a person who's an investor or a, a starting out investor who, who wants to purchase X amount of properties in their first year? And how do they go about it without getting held back by the banks? Because, you know, after a certain amount of 
loans that you get from the bank, they put a big old stop on you. Like, what do we do in those situations? So those are the kind of things that we like to help with. And one of my favorite parts of this industry is how creative you can be with real estate. So that's, uh, that's what we take care of. Yeah, no, I was actually going to say that. So you're just getting creative with how you structure the deals, like from buyer to seller to funding, financing, lending, borrowing, renovation. So you're kind of yeah. taking all the, exactly. all the little uh, parts of owning, home ownership and trying to basically create a recipe for whoever the, the buyer, the, the client is in the matter, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, so I should have asked you this first, but if you don't mind me asking, how old are you guys? I just want to provide some context to the conversation because I, I think you're relatively we young. We are 30. 30. <laughs> the dirty yeah, 30. The big trio. All right. Okay. So Kaylee, this one's for you. When did your, I know Alex has been in real estate for a little bit now, but when did your start kind of take place or are you working a normal job nine to five? What's like, what's your story on no. this side? <laughs> no. No. So I... <laughs> I originally, I actually worked for Hamilton Health Sciences, and I also worked for years at the Keg in Hamilton as well. So I got my real estate license back in, uh, I want to say September, late, late 2016, and I'm kind of an all-in person regardless, so I actually quit both my jobs. Wow. Got my license, started on a team. That was where Alex and I met. I was there for not quite a year, and then I went off on my own for just over a year, and then Alex and I actually joined together. Uh, late, I guess it would have been late last year. Oh, very cool. So you, you quit your job and then got your real estate license? No. So I was working on getting my license. Um, I was one of the lucky last few that were able to do just the, I guess it was the first three courses up front and then you have your articling period to do the rest. Yep. So as soon as I was able to practice and get out and get my license and my, my insurance, I just quit everything. Awesome. I couldn't imagine like struggling at all, you know, having one foot in the door and one foot out. So I just thought, well, this is my choice. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put all, all my, my chips in one basket. And it was great. Awesome. There was a strict no dating policy on the team that we joined and we completely disobeyed that. So. <laughs> was this, yeah. uh, was this the night, the it night and team? for all of like a hot minute. Not to name no, names. I was actually but... back on Mark Lawler's team. Oh, That's, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, we met on Mark's team. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, so we're going back a few years in. Okay, cool. So Alex, your, your path in real estate, how did that evolve from, and I was talking to somebody else about this today, like the run of the mill real estate agent that just, you know, specializes in listings or a special, an agent that specializes in buying, but you're, you know, how did you change from run of the mill agent to a full blown investing, what I call an investor friendly agent? Yeah, I actually, um, it was the inverse of that. So I started off as a real estate investor. I was working at Acon Industrial as a as a project coordinator, and I was starting to get more and more responsibility with Acon. And um, at that point, purchased my first home. And uh, I, yeah, in Hamilton Mountain, I started fixing it up just by myself on like evenings and weekends. And I house hacked it. It's what they call it when you're living in the house yourself, and you're, uh, you know, you you actually rent it out to other individuals. So then I moved out to Kitchener to be a little bit closer to to work, and I, I bought a, a property. I legally duplexed it, once again, on evenings and weekends. It was hell on earth. <laughs> so I don't recommend that to anybody. But So I, I had now already acquired some properties, and I had been getting some really great cash flow from the Hamilton House, and that, that kind of inspired two of my colleagues at Acon to uh, join forces with me, and we bought our first flip. And the flip was, like, we made $256 on it. It was measly. 
and it, we I thought you were going to say 256,000. And yeah, <laughs> from a high to a low, real fast there. Yeah. Holy jeez! They they, uh, they call it the school of foot for a reason, and I'm not kidding you. It was uh, it was a lot of work for such little reward. But at the same time, if you think about it, that like I learned so much on that individual deal, and yeah. if you think about what a typical person pays for tuition, right? Right. It's uh, I would pay that any day. So anyway, by the time I had done my second flip. I had now revamped a lot of the lessons and learned a few things. On my second flip, I made more than I did in a year's salary. And so that was my ticket out. That was my ticket to say, okay, there's, there's definitely more out there than working a nine to five. So um, I started getting my license together. And that's when I got introduced to Mark Loeffler. And once I got my license, I, I jumped over and I joined his ranks to learn how to sell. Nice. Yeah. So from there, as like... My intention in getting the real estate license from the get-go was never to be this, you know, billboard real estate agent. It was always just to get my foot closer to the real estate industry. Because despite the fact that I made a great leap from that one flip that allowed me to mentally give myself permission to leave my job, it still was just like in my head a year's salary. So I would have to duplicate that. In order to duplicate that, I'd have to qualify for mortgages and I'd have to get more access to these properties. So for me, the logical step was to supplement my income using more of a systematic approach to something, which was transactionally selling real estate. And it was, became a benefit because I, I ended up learning how to sell, right? There's a, you know, I ended up doing a ton of listings in my first year and it was, uh, it was huge. Awesome. And what about you, Kaylee? How did, uh, how did it kind of kick off for you? So very similar. I, to be honest, my, my initial thought was just to be on my own when I got my license, but I wanted to do things very, very quickly, and I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could, as fast as I could. So I kind of, actually, I joined with my best friend, who also got her license at the same time. So we joined on Mark's team, and we started working with buyers, you know, kind of right off the hop. It was a high-volume team. We did lots of transactions in Hamilton, but I just had, I think my personality just meshes really well with investors. So most of my clients ended up being investors versus, say, first-time home buyers or, you know, people downsizing, that kind of stuff. So we switched over, and that was kind of my specialty. So I, I really enjoyed it, and I started to get very interested in investing in itself. And obviously, when you're on a team that does a high volume of investment transactions, you kind of, you know, you catch the bug, right? So started making sense. We started going to a lot of different networking events. Our team was involved in a lot of different stuff in the Hamilton area and a lot of larger investment networks. And when Alex and I started dating, one of the first things actually that we did was we bought an investment property together. <laughs> so, so romantic. It was super unconventional. <laughs> yeah, very romantic. <laughs> but it, it honestly, it was a good opportunity. Um, we didn't have financing in order. We had nothing. We put an offer in, firm, sight unseen, never saw the house. And we ended up winning in competition. So we awesome. were like, okay, well, uh, we better figure this out. Yeah, I guess you guys got real serious real fast. It was a serious serious move in the, in the relationship for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it's unconventional to date someone for a few months and buy like an investment property together. <laughs> yeah. And we lived actually in one of the investment properties that Alex already owned awesome. when we, we first started dating anyway, so... You know, we both really loved it. It was something that we obviously had a shared passion for that we still do. You know, even sometimes, like on a personal level, we talk about real estate a lot. Yeah. Um, but we love it. 
you know, it doesn't feel like work because when you're doing truly what you love to do, it it's, I don't know, I couldn't imagine not doing this day yeah. in and day out. It's, it's really exciting and it's, I feel incredibly grateful that we, we get to. Yeah, and it makes a, a significant difference when you guys are a couple that have the same passions and the same drive and the same yeah, ambitions to go forward in, the, in this industry. Yeah, definitely a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. So about your portfolio, I mean, you guys touch upon like your first purchase as a romantic relationship and then also how you guys evolved from that. So when it comes to your portfolio, how has it grown? Like when was the first purchase? What year was that? Or do you remember? Like together, um, the first one together. 2017, I guess. 2017. Yeah. Early 2017. And then Alex had a couple before then? Yeah, I would say yeah. I probably had about eight to 10 doors around there. Okay. And then where are you guys sitting at now? We've got 30 now. 30. And these are all self-managed? Um, we're actually just starting to give away some of the properties. We do manage a few ourselves, but we have properties like, for instance, in Kitchener that we have a, a property manager out there for. Um, and then well, we also, we also have one well into Niagara that, okay. that I manage. The local Hamilton ones right now are self-managed, but even those we're slowly starting to pass over to the property management company. It's just because it's not worth a dime. If, yeah, uh, we're better off finding the next deal. No, absolutely. That's kind of yeah. what we're doing too, is where we're focusing less on managing, but more on the acquisition of properties and kind of like what you guys are doing, putting the deals together. And it sounds like you guys as well. It's That's where more of the interest lies than actually managing the people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and not to mention it, it's not our skill set either. Right. It just, you know, we self-manage. And unfortunately, when you get into situations where you know, you have to evict a tenant or, you know, issue a notice for something, you know, you're making small mistakes and, and they're costly mistakes because again, you're playing in an arena that you're not familiar with. So, you know, property managers are, you know, like insurance, unfortunately it's a cost, Yeah. but you don't regret it when you need it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys talked about some rentals in the, uh, the lucrative flip house of $256. But uh, what strategies are you guys into a couple years ago versus what you're doing now? How has the, the strategies have evolved over the last few years for you guys? It's funny because I think that the strategy has, for the most part, always stayed pretty, pretty much the same. I guess Private now it would be a big one. Yeah, but in terms of the actual strategy of like, is it a flip or is it a buy and hold or is it a buy, fix, refi? I think that at the beginning, we we just did simple buy and hold because the numbers made a little bit more sense then. But nowadays, we've really started to focus on the buy, renovate, rent out, refinance, repeat, like the Burr model. Yep. And it's yep. just because from our partner standpoint, the people that we're partnering with from the financial side, they're like we're seeing such huge returns. And we've got such happy customers because of it. It's straightforward to do, right? So with the Hamilton market being as strong as it has been, if you can buy something and repurpose that property and create cash flow, the appraisals that are coming back are incredible. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times, our investors are getting their money back within the first three years, like all of your money back. Yeah. And so we own a, a cash flowing asset that's worth a substantial amount of money, and both parties have nothing in it. Yeah, crazy it's yeah. amazing and they're larger larger construction projects too when you're doing the full conversion yeah so like our rental budget i can't think of the last time we did something that was less than like 50 grand they're normally right. really really big projects that we're taking on right yeah our bigger conversions are usually about 150 so wow. that's okay because once again the the con uh, the investors who are 
are providing the initial capital to such wheelchairs, they're usually leaving only after the project's done, including down payment and including the construction costs. Once we go back to the first refi, we're only leaving about fifty to sixty thousand dollars in the property, That's and amazing. then that property, that property, is still generating return on that investment. And so within the first three years, once the property continues to appreciate and the mortgage continues to be paid off, and we're still getting cash flow in the interim, by the time we've hit three years, we've grown so much that, you know, to do a refinance, usually within the first year and a half, we're already breaking even. Right. Pretty cool. Yeah. So these these big projects you're doing where you're, like you're talking about, where you're able to pull a lot of that investment back out. Where is this happening? Like, I know you said you're in Kitchener and you're in Niagara Falls, Welland and Hamilton. Do you find that these types of deals with this strategy are more prominent somewhere else, like in a certain spot, I mean? As long as the location has a good rental market, I find. Like, I know a lot of people have different opinions about, let's say, Welland. And growth. or Yeah, yeah. But like, for instance, we really like Welland for the buy, uh, renovate, refi strategy, just because it's, it's got a decent rental market out there. Right. And uh, and Hamilton, like Hamilton's our all time favorite. We're Hamilton locals ourselves, so it's just a little bit easier to still cherry pick some of the the lower hanging fruit close to home. Awesome, that sounds good. Yeah, you'd mentioned with like the joint venturing side of things. How do you structure your your JVs with with uh, with your clients and the people that you're working with? So how we typically work is that us being the real estate professionals, our job is to source the properties for, you know, 10, 15, 20% under market value. So we find good deals that we're already getting at a discount. And then we're managing those properties to like to fruition. So we buy an absolute crapshoot. We're walking the property through the entire process of the renovation until the point where it's rented out. We even fill the tenants. We manage the property managers. So there's a lot of details that goes in during that time. So that's our contribution. And for that, we have a 50% equity stake in the property. Now, the other 50% is owned by the joint venture partner. That joint venture partner ponies up the capital for the down payment. They also fund 100% of the construction costs. And the property is also held, like the mortgage is held in their name. So they're the only ones on title. And that adds a bit of a security to They know that they're putting their money on the tangible asset. So a lot of people feel like, oh, what happens if you guys walk away or something like that? The reality of it is you're already getting a property at a significant discount. So if that were ever to happen, which is counterintuitive to the whole process, really, if you think about it, they still have a guarantee that they have a really great product on hand. So from there, we do all the management of the work. We do everything to get it to its new appraised value. And when we have that new product that's like a brand fresh new house with new electrical, new plumbing, new finishes, interior, we go for a refinance and we refinance up to the new 80% loan to value. And then the first person who gets paid back is the joint venture partner. And in fact, Kaylee and I don't get paid on these properties until the joint venture is made whole. And once the joint venture is up to 100%, then we split the proceeds 50-50 from there. Oh, so even if, even if, like you said, the one example it took, a year or two, let's say, to pay back that joint venture partner, you're not making mm-hmm. any money until possibly year two? Exactly. We are yeah, putting yeah. the cash flow though. Yes, cash flow we don't does not okay. get incorporated into that, that yeah. portion. And then um, cash flow is about, still fit. Okay. Yeah. And then what about appreciation? How's that divvied up? 
So the appreciation is accounted for in the overall dollar value that, that the increase is taking place in. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So for example, whether it's the mortgage, the, the difference in equity after a year, because let's say you have a $500,000 property and you 80% of that's 400, but currently you've refinanced it to 400,000. But now after a year, you've paid off that property. Let's say now you only have a mortgage of 385,000 after the first year, but your property has also appreciated. Now it's worth 515. So you've created an additional spread. So if you can refinance that up to 80% loan to value, off the top of my head, I don't know what that math portion is. Let's just call it an even 15,000 or 10,000 differential, hypothetically. That 10,000 would still go towards the joint venture partner until they're made whole. Okay. Very cool. And once they're made whole, at that point, any future refinances, any future, if we sell the property, whatever the proceeds are at that point, is all split 50-50. So, I mean, that's more of the appeal. Like, you know how you'd, you'd mentioned that for security reasons, you'd put their name on title so they feel a bit more secure. I mean, that makes mm-hmm. it a pretty appealing deal when you're basically going to do all uh-huh. the heavy lifting, get them to a beautiful house that's cash flowing, and you're not taking a dime aside from cash flow you're not taking a dime until they're paid back in whole. So, I mean, that's, that's a pretty sexy looking deal in my opinion. Yeah. So like our, our, our properties right now, like our average return on investment is like 35%, which is crazy. I that mean, is. if you think about it, you're still splitting that half and half, right? Yep. But when, when I count a return on investment, I look at it from a singular property perspective. So property should be performing at a certain level and, if we have X amount of dollars in the property still, um, what is the return on the money that's left in that property? Right. And so like we just did one that the return on investment is 77%. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy when you think about that because like, you know, so even though sometimes like joint venture partners, they're like, well, you don't necessarily have any money in, like, where's your risk? At the end of the day, we also share in the losses. If that property goes belly up or something or, or it's old money, yeah. we, we pony up the cash to have to cover it. Now, we never have had to because we're very careful on our due diligence. But to have a return on investment that a single property is producing at 77%, I mean, that's, it's a wild idea to know that you can have an asset that is going to produce generational wealth. Yeah. For that. Absolutely. Very cool. So we've talked about how you kind of put your deals together and your splits on those and and uh, and how those move forward. But like, if we go to a more of a, a personal level where it's just you and Kaylee and how you're financing deals now, how does that look from, you know, when you guys started and you had your money, your 5% or your 20% down, eventually money gets a little tight. So how are you financing the deals now? Majority is joint venture relationships. So we've done a few private money deals, which are a little bit more... Um, more risky, I would say, because at the end of the day, if you leave 50 grand in a property for a joint venture partner, you're sharing in the in the overall growth of the property. But a private money lender might require you to pay the money back within the end of a year or something like that. So you might be able to do like a second mortgage at that time to try and fill it. But I still am someone who believes that a private money loan is a little bit more risky than a joint venture loan. But it is cheaper at the end of the day to go with private money. Right. If you think about it, because if we're doing a project where we're only left with 50 grand in, we're still giving up 50% of that, of all that work that we've done. Right. Yeah. And right now it, it works and it's, it's great because it's a very attractive 
proposition to a lot of people that have spare equity lying in their own homes or have spare cash that's sitting doing nothing. It's very attractive for those individuals. But at a certain period, we have to start to analyze and say, okay, is it still worth it for us to do this property in that way? So we're, we're creative in what we do, and we try and look for the best case scenario, but um, it's starting to really broaden our horizons in terms of which direction we want to go with financing, because there's a hundred ways to do it. Right. I think it has to do a little bit with your where you are in your real estate investment career as well. I mean, a, a 50-50 joint venture partnership where, again, if, if you don't have the funds or the means to secure financing on your own, that's great because you're, you're trading up your expertise and your time. But eventually, you're going to reach a point where, you know, now you have many properties of your own. You've reached maybe a, a next level of growth. So, you know, again, like what Alex said, you can only maintain, like we had, what, maybe six projects? Is that the most we've maybe taken on at once, Alex? Yeah, six at one time. I mean, that, that's a lot. It is, yeah. To do, right? So in terms of, of scaling and being able to move, like right now we're experimenting with different lenders and, and obviously different options, uh, our own lines of credit that we have on properties too, and, and just different means of, of securing properties on our own as well has been a little bit more lucrative than than constantly relying on like a, a 50-50 JV. Right. Just because our, our time eventually will want to trade that, right? Yep. I mean, I think Alex and I both envision us in the future being the private money lenders <laughs> as yeah. opposed to the, you know, the people doing the work on the other side of that transaction. We'll, we'll um, switch off. I could find some young Spitfire who is just willing to bang out a bunch of deals, source them, do all the management and the, and the, yeah. like the construction management, I would scale the end of the earth to find that kid money. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're just, right now we are that person though, right? So yep. eventually we're going to want to do the transition. I mean, we're, we're expanding our own personal family and you know, we're going to want to start doing stuff and stepping back a little bit from that. So, you know, I think you come to a point in anyone's kind of investment career where that transition happens. And it happens at different spots for different people. But, you know, that, again, there has to be a, a fair trade-off that makes sense for your, your quality of life, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to just change gears a little bit here. So there is a kind of, a, I guess you could say, a new networking event uh, that's going on. I don't know if you've heard of it, Alex. It's called the the Greater Hamilton Area Investment <laughs> Network. Yeah, I've heard of that. Would you be able to tell me about that? <laughs> yeah, totally. So our intention was to create a, a local Hamilton Investors Club that anybody and everyone can come to. All too often, we find that a lot of these investment networks are very much positioned to, like from like a solicitation standpoint, people trying to sell their businesses and stuff or, or their service or whatever the case may be. We wanted to create a platform where anybody experienced, new, doesn't matter who you are or what you are, or if you're just interested in real estate investing, they could come there and learn and get value from it, from learning real life stuff. And so we've had some, some incredible guest speakers come out um, talking about things from joint ventures to you know, we have, we're having a wholesaler come out next Thursday to talk about how they're acquiring off-market properties for substantially under-market value. Like, so this, these are things that I think that the modern-day investor always is, is wondering. And the two biggest objections we hear is that everything's overpriced and there's no more good deals out there. And I mean, if, if you, we can debunk those myths and help people, you know, attain financing, find the right investment that's going to suit them and their family's needs, then collaborate through a really awesome group. There's so much opportunity out there that I think everyone can can succeed and profit from it. 
Uh, that's why we encourage like everybody, whether you're a real estate agent or your mortgage broker, we're not there to fish for business. We're there to fish for like-minded individuals. Okay, cool. Yeah. And when does that take place? Is it like uh, once a month or and where does it happen? The second Thursday of every month. And it happens uh, right now. We're at the St. Nicholas Banquet Hall on Melvin Avenue, just off Parkdale and Melvin. Uh, I think okay. Jazz is. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, the second Thursday from 7 till 10 p.m. Um, it's really great. We have a bar there too. So you can grab a drink and you can talk to folks and, and, uh, and sit and learn a couple of things. And it's a lot of fun. Awesome. And is there uh, a cost for entry? There is. It's 20 bucks, but that also goes towards a free drink ticket. Oh, wow. Sold. I'll be there. <laughs> there you go. If, I, if alcohol doesn't entice you, I don't know what will. I know, exactly. <laughs> um, so, obviously, with the, and you're referring to it as the GAIN, what are you, the GAIN network? GAIN. The GAIN, yep. okay. GAIN, yeah. So, with GAIN, obviously, you're promoting networking. Like, for you, having started so many years ago and to this point now, like, how vital is networking to you guys and, and how much has it had an effect on what you guys have done up to today? It's like our lifeblood. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so it's really cool because you go to different events and, and I find that actually amongst industry, like, I mean, obviously being in real estate is a little bit different, but I find real estate investors are incredibly transparent for the most part and, in, and very, very humble and everyone's very willing to share, you know, the lessons that they've learned and the mistakes that they've done because, you know, you might think that you've really screwed up something or if you've, you know, you're like, oh my God, I shouldn't have done that. That was terrible. Someone else has done it. It's happened before. And, you know, I find that you start to, you know, you kind of see the same people at different events kind of over and over and you're, you're building your, your little group, right? You're, you are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. And it's just very cool because, you know, you could be rubbing elbows or sitting at a table with someone that has a massive portfolio, you know, and, and 10 years prior to that, they were just where you were, you know, starting off with single families or student rentals or flipping. And, you know, to see that progression and to be in an environment that's so open and so willing to share is really cool. Really, really cool. I love it. Because in theory, investing is not rocket science. It's just the application is where a lot of people struggle because they just don't do it, Right very intriguing people like to learn about it but actually going out and applying what you learn and and taking chances and you know and and constantly moving forward is is where i think a lot of people kind of fall off and that's why they don't continue with it or frankly ever start yeah i find a lot of those events people are very driven you know everybody's got a a very forward-thinking mentality at those at those types of events and it's always refreshing too because if you're like you, you know and you're in a whatever, having a bad week or in a bit of a slump, you just go to one of those things and just kind of like recharges you or like Alex oh, said, yeah. it's your, 100%. it's your, it's your blood transfusion. You're like, all right, I'm back. Let's kick some ass. <laughs> so true. Yeah. It gets so you just true. jacked and ready to go out and buy like 20 properties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I find so many people are, are, are so nervous about going and meeting people. And a big portion is that maybe they're not experienced enough or some people don't feel that they're they're They can validate the fact that they're, rubbing elbows with other people. I, I don't know what it is. Or maybe it's just general shyness. I don't know. But I used to be very shy when it comes to networking too. Like, you know, the kind of guy that you'd sit at the back of the room and you'd listen to the to the speakers. You'd be taking frantic notes and stuff like that. And then you'd get up and you'd leave. And you don't realize that the, the true business that takes place at these networking events is not from the speakers. It's actually from the 
the networking you do afterwards. Yeah. And so I always ask people that if you knew that by having a conversation, you could get $20,000 for that one conversation, would you have it? And like, you know, the average person would be like, hell yeah, I'd have a $20,000 conversation. Well, Kelly and I have had $50,000 conversations at networking events. It's crazy. So it just goes to show you, it's just a matter of getting out there meeting people and, and becoming a little bit vulnerable. And once you do it two or three times, by the fourth time, you're already laughing. Yeah, Easy. absolutely. And I find that the, the judgment in those types of venues and that environment is, is almost minimal. You know, there's not like somebody thinks they're better than you. It's everybody's doing the same thing, wants to succeed. And I might be a newer investor. You might be a seasoned investor, but I guarantee I know something you don't know and you know something I don't know. Let's work together and kind of figure it out. And I've always found that to be very comforting. And I've told uh, colleagues and friends about that. It's like, there's no judgment here. Like everybody is, it almost seems like everybody is equal in those types of environments. That's cool. I can guarantee if you feel judged or if you feel... Like if someone is making you feel that you don't know anything, that person probably doesn't own a lot of property. <laughs> yeah. To be honest. No, you're I probably haven't met right. anybody who's like, you know, investing in a really high level that has that kind of attitude. In fact, some of them are the most unassuming people. <laughs> yeah. And you know what the funny thing is in real estate investing, it's one of the only like occupations or like um, your direct competitor can be one of your best clients, one of your customers, one of your partners, you know, because for instance, we can directly, one of your best friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We can directly compete with, let's say a real estate agent because we're also real estate agents and we're competing for clients. But why, why compete with clients? Why not tell that real estate agent, Hey, if you find a good, uh, a great property, a great investment property, flip it over to us and then you can represent us on the deal and you can keep both ends of the commission. And yep. like, so we've done deals with agents and that goes for you too, Brian, by the way, just make a little note there. On the side. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. Got it. We've, we've done deals with agents and they love it. Cause they're like, Holy crap, we just double ended our listing. And it's like, yeah, man, like thanks for the opportunity. Cause that opportunity is worth more for us than it is for yeah. just the commission at the end of the day. Yeah. That a transaction is. And it's no different for other investors who are looking for joint ventures or whatever. There's so much opportunity that to like help one another that you don't need to, you know, ever feel like you're being judged or anything. If you are, just uh, move on to the next person. You're, you know, what's funny when you said that about flipping the deal over and, and that agent taking the commission, it's, I've had this conversation and I do, uh, I spoke at an event where I did an investor friendly realtor uh, little topic. And it's exactly that you're seeing the big picture. You're not looking at that commission of whatever, a few thousand bucks. You're saying, forget that. I'm looking at the big picture of having this, you know, cash flowing asset for a long period of time where yeah. those sometimes those other agents whether they're investors or not are looking at the short term it's like oh yeah you know i get an extra you know few grand on this deal because i just flipped it right to alex and kaylee and and i find that's the difference between investors and non-investors and investing agents and non-investing agents is is the picture you know you mm-hmm. you, yeah. you you guys and myself we're looking at the big picture and i think that's a really cool uh kind of little tip for for those out there that you know, are, are thinking about pulling the trigger on a deal. And it's like, look at the big picture. It's not always about the, the, the few thousand dollars here. Think big. Yeah, 100%. So guys, I have a little bit of a fire round that I do with everyone. We kind of just fire off similar questions. But the nice thing is, is that everybody's got a different perspective on that. So if you guys are ready for that. Fire away. The fire round. 
Okay, so where do you guys see yourself in the next 12 months? Well, new parents, that's for sure. We're yep. expecting our that's first very shortly. A boy, right? And uh, a little boy, The yeah. cake, I yeah. think I saw a video, the cake was blue. Yeah, yeah, okay. that was the one. Awesome. Congratulations, so from guys. A, from a uh, transactional standpoint, I think that in the next 12 months, I would like to see us at closer to 60 doors. That's where I think I'd like to see us in the next 12 months. Okay. In the next 12 months, yeah. We are moving. So new home. We'll have a baby. We have a new office that we're building. Yeah. And bigger That's- buildings. Still need to buy our, our six-plus unit this year. So okay. we're ahead of, our, ahead of our goal on other properties. I think, what did we say, Alex, 10 this year? This year, our goal oh, is to buy seven. So we already hit eight. our goal. We just, got, we just got one, yeah. Awesome. So we're actually surpassed it. We have eight already. So, Excellent. But um, larger buildings. Okay, cool. In the next 12 months, we'll be amassing a portfolio of, of larger multiplexes or mixed-use buildings. Very cool. I wish you guys the best in that. So where do you see the market in the next 12 months? I'm pretty optimistic on Hamilton. It just based on kind of what I've what I've seen and the overall gentrification that's taking place, Hamilton itself is starting to define itself a little bit more than just the basic steel town. It hasn't even started. It's been doing it for the last number of years. Um, But Canada's funny like that. There's a lot of different markets within markets, right? And a lot of it comes from Toronto, but even that ripple effect that we found from Toronto last year, I mean, we're, we're right back up and surpassed. So, I'm very optimistic as to where things are going. Not to mention we've got the airport construction project that's going to be taking place and all that light infrastructure that's going up on the mountain. We've got the LRT that's going to be coming through one of these days. Um, we've got, <laughs> the we, you know, harbor front development. Yeah, that's condos. going to be really cool. Yeah. I'm I mean, forward to that. even just to see all the condo development happening right now in Hamilton, it's, it's really exciting. Lots of restaurants. There's lots of you know, small businesses coming in, which is really cool to see. Lock Street isn't the only kind of trendy area anymore. There's all sorts of little pockets in Hamilton. Yeah, for sure. You've ever yeah. tried to get in and out of Pearson Airport? Mm-hmm. It is like, <laughs> like just dragging your face against asphalt. Yeah, yeah we love but, to fly out of Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, so so as soon as Hamilton starts to establish itself a little bit more as a as a, a more of a central pillar. Um, if you think about our proximity to Detroit or proximity to Buffalo, I mean, just the amount of growth that can take place in Hamilton itself, plus we've got a ton of space to, to still expand. In my opinion, I think Toronto is going to be the next New York, and I think Hamilton is going to be the next Toronto. I like it. It sounds good to me. Yeah. Uh, who do you guys learn from? Um, mostly from networking, actually. Our peers. When I go out to networking events, like last networking event, I I learned a really cool twist, the burst strategy, and it just about blew my mind. So that's something that whenever I'm picking up new ideas, and that's part of the reason we still go religiously to these different um, different networking events, because we're always picking up the odd little knickknack and idea that we can apply to our actual businesses. So that's it. That's what I would say. But we still constantly are educating ourselves through books and, of course, podcasts and things like that, too. Okay, cool. Um, read a book or listen to a podcast. Any any ones in particular? Um, I like the the E Myth is something that Alex and I actually read often, over and over. It's a book that kind of rotates in our household. Really good for entrepreneurs. Um, anyone that's looking to own like a small business or or to get into that podcast. 
we listen to the Right Club podcast. Uh, Alex, are there any other notable ones? Yeah, I'm more I'm of a book reader, to be honest. Ted is more of the reader. I'm more of the audiobook kind of guy. I love Rich Dad Poor Dad. So if any new investor who's looking to get started, I mean, like these podcasts, like the one you got here, Brian, are incredible resources to, for people just to get their feet wet, right? And yeah. uh, and if they want more information, like something like Rich Dad Poor Dad, I think is a staple that every investor should read. And it's not because it gives you fundamental ideas on how to invest. It changes your mindset. And for those of uh, those listeners who are investors, you will know that mindset is 95% of the battle. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, if you guys could do one thing differently in the last year, what would it have been? Focus. Okay. That's going to be my number one thing. I find with, especially with growing a new business, I'm a little bit flighty and where I, you know, I had constantly moving in different directions or I had different ideas or whatever the case. But I think that really hammering down on what your goals are and then putting everything else aside in your business just to focus on how to achieve those goals. I think that's uh, that would have made us like it would have put us ahead than where we are now. But lots of distractions in these businesses as I'm learning as I go through. But you got your hands in a lot of cookie jars, so I mean it's 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 yeah. it's, it's understandable to get pulled in a different direction. Uh, what is a valuable piece of information that you take with you or that you would share with other listeners or investors? Take action. Take action. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a reason why the most successful people that you'll meet in real estate investing tend to be, I don't want to say impulsive, but they're, they're quick to take action. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not that you're going to miss, like it shouldn't be coming from a place of, of scarcity where you're afraid of missing every single opportunity because truly there's an opportunity that will cross your path every single day. But, you know, just being in a position where you know where you are, that you can act very quickly because again, any good opportunity will not be there forever. They're very fleeting. So you, you know, next tomorrow might bring another one, but you know, you, if you just keep taking action and if you keep moving forward and if you are always coming from gratitude and trying to help and, and coming from a position where, you know, it, it, any little setback doesn't totally immobilize you and just, you know, picking yourself back up and dusting off and being like, okay, I'm going to get it on the next one. I think that those are people that will see a lot more success than those that constantly maybe overanalyze deals or, you know, are always sitting watching. Mm-hmm. Just take action. You have to be bold. If there is an element of risk. Yeah. One thing I really like too is what's your best resource? Being resourceful. And I find as an investor, especially if you have to resort to sometimes creativity or out-of-the-box ideas and strategies, you have to be resourceful. You have to know that you can do it somehow. So if you're, you know, you get this, this trouble all the time, like, what do I do? Do I find the property first or do I find the money first? But I can't find the money if I don't have the property. And I can't find the property if I don't have the money. You know, it's like you get this, you know, predicament all the time. Be resourceful. If you find a good deal, get it, put it under contract, and then you will find the money. Because yeah. if it's that good of a deal, you won't have a problem. Yeah, you'll figure it out. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that concludes the fire round, but I want to ask one more question, if you don't mind. Alex, you had okay. mentioned that you uh, just were at a networking event, and they talked about the Burr strategy with a twist. Can you share mm-hmm. what the twist is? Yeah, totally. It actually blew my mind a little bit, because remember how you had uh, – you had actually picked out the fact that we don't get paid on a burr. 
until years down the down the road until the investor is paid back. Right. So from carrying my standpoint, we still have to, you know, do transactional real estate or we have to do the odd flip to supplement our income so that we can still put, you know, food on the table. And these are I'm talking like first world problems here, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day is how can we structure a burr where it can actually become a little bit more lucrative and we can start to do it on a much higher level and gain more income today for it. So a different way to do that is to sell your burr after to a joint venture. And what you can do is, so for example, let's say you buy a $400,000 property and you want to convert it to, yeah, like a, a three unit, let's say. So we know that when you're putting, a, let's say $150,000 into it, you're in it for five fifty. Let's say with clothing costs, you're about five sixty. Okay, that we just had a three unit in Hamilton that reappraised at seven hundred thousand dollars. Okay, so that seven hundred thousand dollars that would almost pay back our joint venture partner in full, if not completely. Right. But in the event that Mary Kelly and I have have done one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of coordinating to make sure this property gets to the level it is. So rather than bring our joint venture in on the front end. Use private money to acquire the property, then use private money to put the finances in from the construction standpoint. So you're now in it from a private standpoint for 560, but you currently own it. Now you sell that property to a joint venture, 50% equity, but they're buying it 100%, but you still have 50% ownership because rather than selling it to them for 700,000, you're selling it to them for, let's say, 680, 670. So they're getting a property that's $30,000 under what the appraised value is. You're getting paid the difference from the 560 that you're in to that 670, right? So you can make $110,000. Right. Your joint venture partner has to keep the 20% equity in there, but the joint venture partner, they're making a substantial return on that money anyway. And that's the whole idea is that you're partnering with people that want to park their money into a cash or into like an appreciating asset. So it's not like that property, rather than the joint venture getting their money all back, you're actually, the joint venture is keeping their money in there longer and the money is just working a little bit harder. That's all. That's clever though. I like it. And they don't necessarily need as much off the bat either. Exactly. Like they're funding all the construction and the down payment. Right. Now I wouldn't suggest that's like the first <laughs> no, you've never done no. that's a lot of juggling. <laughs> yeah. You probably shouldn't do that, but you know, if you're looking to to change things, it got our minds kind of you know thinking differently. We thought, wow, we've actually never considered it that way. That's cool. And that is once a cool you've twist. done a few conversions, you can do you know you can do them pretty quickly, right? Yeah. So, so remember when you were saying at the beginning, it's like, oh my god, that sounds like a smoking hot deal when the investor is getting their money back. The reality of it is, it is. And yeah, the reason yeah. it's a smoking hot deal is because Kaylee and I don't get paid for the, for the big chunk of the time. Yeah. So this would alleviate that, and we'd still be able to give them a smoking hot deal. Maybe just not as smoky, you know? It's just a hot deal. <laughs> yeah, right? just not as much smoke. Okay, got it. Yeah. Awesome. Very <laughs> cool. Smoke. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome, guys. Well, that was fantastic. I mean, uh, I don't have any more pressing or grilling questions for you guys, but that was fantastic. And I, I know you guys are really busy and I know you guys are preparing for the little addition. You feel free to name him Brian. It's cool. I won't, I won't think it's weird, but uh, yeah, I wish you, <laughs> Fitzy. there's a lot of people call me Fitzy. So that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I like it. 
Thanks very much, guys. I really appreciate your time and uh, and the value you brought to this. So uh, thanks very much, and I wish you guys well, all the thanks best. Thanks for having us on, man. Yeah, uh, thank you so awesome. much for having us. No problem. So I'll try and make it out to the next GAIN event. We'll call it the GAIN event. Yeah, we'll look forward to yeah, seeing you there. Uh, next Thursday. Next Thursday. The 13th. Actually, that yeah. could work. That could work. And maybe I'll see you there. Yeah. All right. And if good. anyone needs more info, they can go on Facebook. Okay, awesome. I'm going to put all your contact information in this in this episode anyways and uh, in the show notes so that if anybody wants to reach out to you guys, they can do so that way. Cool? Thanks, Brian. Awesome, Appreciate guys. It. Take care. Enjoy the sun. Thanks, we'll, Have a great we'll day. See you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye. From the Real Estate Investors Lounge, thanks for listening. Be sure to check out our website at www.reilounge.ca for more episodes and information.